We're going to be in the book of Exodus chapter 3 today. And uh, as we look at the Bible today, uh, I want you to answer that question for yourself again. What do you worship? What do you worship? You know, uh, in, in the book of Exodus as well, there's the story of how Moses has gone up to Mount Sinai and he's received the Ten Commandments. And he comes back down and the people are uh, apparently worshiping a golden calf. And, and we know from Jewish commentators, who are the commentators we have the most of uh, on the Old Testament and the most ancient, that it wasn't the fact that they thought that cow or that calf was God. It wasn't that they made up a completely new God. But often in the Egyptian and Canaanite deities, there would be the God upon a bull. It was a symbol of power. Uh, it was also thought to be a conduit, so to sp- speak, of which they would go and worship, but it was to the God. The way that we worship through Christ today, the way that Moses spoke for the people that day, how he would hear God's voice and, and speak to them, they looked at that calf like it would be that symbol in which they could worship through. Now, of course, there were a lot of people who left the Egyptian nation when the Israelites were released. And so some people brought with them their pluralistic worship and their different forms of worship. So some probably actually did. But probably most of those of the nation of Israel saw this as a way, because this is the way it's typically done. We haven't seen God. Surely there's something we can see, a way that we can worship through Him. But it's not the way that God had commanded that they worship And often when you worship the symbol, that's exactly where it stops. You begin to worship the symbol itself and not the God of the universe who is so much bigger. And we know the very Ten Commandments that that Moses was bringing to them was to say, do not worship any graven images. Don't make any idols. You don't need to do that. You're going to know me and worship me, literally. And so we're going to see there's a covenant name that he's going to give to the nation of Israel. And he says, this is my name forever that he's going to give. But the question that we have to ask ourselves today is, what is it that we worship? What is it that we give the most value and worth and worship to today? You know, most of you, this is not your problem, okay? You are not worshiping. A golden calf. You're not even trying to worship through one. That, that's not the problem. We have other things and other ways that we do it. You know, it might be through this. I, I would like this opportunity to say, if your TV looks like this, you're probably not worshiping it. Um, but your golden calf might be entertainment. I was talking to, to a family the other day, and he said, you know, our TV's always on. Like 24 hours a day. Like sometimes we turn it off when we go to bed, sometimes not. When we get up, we turn it on, and it's on all the time. And somehow I looked up, and all our meals are in front of the TV. When our kids come in, they go straight to the TV. When I come in, I go straight to the TV. And that's, I recognize that, like, it's just become like this little idol that we just all gather around all the time. And when we turn it off, it just seems weird. Like it's not right, and like it, my family kind of gets unnerved. That's a bad sign. Okay? And let me tell you, the television's not evil. Some of the things on it might be, but it's not evil in itself. What do you do with it? 
Is it where your time and your energy and your resources go? So it's it's funny. I think some of the uh, pagans would look at us and think, really, you sit in front of a box all day? You know what I mean? I, I mean, they would think we're primitive. How about this one? Now, we all have one of these. These are not evil in themselves, but it's easy to find ourselves doing the same thing. I come home, even when I meet my family, you're on your computer. Even when it's family time, even if, even if you're watching television, it's like, it's like, like a double whammy. You know what I mean? I, I can't even, I can't even entertain myself and, and, uh, I can't even do it that way. I, it's like I just bring it everywhere I go. I gotta have it. You know, this is what I, if I lost this, do you know my life would be over? I've heard people say that. If I, if I lose that, my life's over. Really? That's a bad sign. <laughs> At least back it up. I mean, come on. You know, that's a bad, bad sign. Your life is in here. You got the wrong life. I, I, I got one, by the way. I'm not. I'm not against computers for those of you who sell them. All right. I'm not against them. I'm just saying, is this what you value most? Is this? Here's. Let me give you the simple one. I was talking to somebody the other day. Said, Yeah, I'm on one. I'm on a computer about ten to twelve hours a day. I wanted to ask, do you struggle at all with praying? If you're doing 12 hours here and you go, I'm sorry, I just don't have time to pray. <laughs> you don't have time. You might need to ask your spouse to hide this for 30 minutes a day. And it's not just this. You go, well, I'm, I'm fine with that one. But uh, what about this one? The iPhone 5 is coming out. This is what it looks like. Not really. And you spend, I can't wait for that thing to come out, and I'm learning everything I can. I'm going to, every time a new one comes out, I'm going to get that. And, you know, I don't have, I don't have time to serve, dude. I don't have time to serve. And who knows how many hours we spend with our gadgets. Hey, is this wrong? No. You know what? I'm eventually going to get an iPhone. I, I realize I am one of the last human beings in Flower Mound that does not own an iPhone. And I'm going to get one one day when I grow up. And so I'm I'm not against them. And it's not even iPhone. By the way, if you have an Android, you can do the same thing. I know we've got people that work for Verizon, AT&T. Uh, so forgive me for calling this an iPhone. <laughs> You're probably glad I called that an iPhone. But nevertheless, does this consume you? You know, another way, here's one. I talked to someone the other day who said, oh, this has been a while back, that I probably am on on and off Facebook 10, 12 hours a day. And I was thinking, who do you work for? <laughs> Let me ask you this. And I'm not against Facebook. Our church uses Facebook advertising. I will say, if you're asking me to be a friend on your Facebook, I don't look at my Facebook. I've read it twice, I think, in my life. Um, so I'm, I don't really use Facebook. Uh, but it's a great tool. I'm glad that you have it. I'm asking you, if you do this for an hour, two hours a day, do you do that in exclusion of a time alone with the Lord? But what I find is not that we don't have time. It's that we've taken our time and we've put Everything else in it. And we've squeezed it. Remember what worship is. It's what you value. It's what you worship. Or how about this one? And this is just symbolic of food. Do you worship? Are you one of those people, what are we going to have next? 
in all your life is surrounded by food. And you can't wait to whatever is next. And it consumes you. And most of your energy and your time go toward what's next or the preparation or the eating or the thinking. Here's one of my struggles. You might be golf clubs for you. But it's easy to just let my energy go here. Again, is this a bad thing? Absolutely not. This is a good thing. <laughs> Football is good. It's God's gift to America. I'm very thankful for it, okay? But if I watch six or seven hours of football in a week, weekend or whatever it is and say, I just don't have any time. Lord, I'm sorry. I don't know where all time goes. I can tell you where it's going. Some of it's going. What about your money? What about your energy? What about your passion? Again, these are all great things. These are all things that I, I have and I use and you use. But they weren't meant to become our golden calf. And so when we think they're so primitive, maybe we're kind of primitive as well. Maybe we're not as advanced, at least spiritually, as we think we are. So here we are in the book of Exodus. And I want to pick up chapter 4. Moses has just seen a burning bush and God is about to speak to him. He's about to reveal himself in verse 4 of chapter 3. And he said, When the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am, because he's a personal God. He knows who Moses is. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground, because I am holy, I am pure, I am perfect, I am without sin, I am unblemished, I am righteous. This is holy ground. I am holy. And so I have come, and let me, I want you to know right now, the Lord said, look, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the eternal God. And this, Moses, hid his face. And because he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have indeed seen, and I am seeing, literally in the Hebrew the misery of our people. And I'm concerned about them. I, I sing. <clears throat> I'm concerned. I'm understanding. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out into a land that's good and spacious, a land flowing with milk and honey. And skip down to verse 10. And he said, so now go. I am sending to you to Pharaoh to bring my people the Israelites out of Egypt. Isn't it so interesting that God often does that? We're praying, we see a need, we go, God, you ought to do something about that. And when God convicts us, you know what that means? God is saying, I want you to be a part. What are you willing to do? What steps are you willing to take? And Moses said, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is your name? Then what am I to tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. I am. What does that mean? I am. Well, that word is rich. That Hebrew is rich. And we don't have the exact words in our vernacular and our English translation to give it. But let me just give you some. First of all, it means I am the self-existent one. I am the only one. I am all 
of the creation, all that has been created, I am. I am and forever have been and will always be. I am the one. We see this uh, magnified in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the, the great Shema of the, the Jewish people. And he says in chapter 6, verse 4, he says this. He says, hear, O hear, Israel, the Lord God is one. I am the, the one, the one and only, and you shall worship me with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. He gives him the name above all names. As a matter of fact, I want to show you the symbol, uh, or excuse me, how it's written in Hebrew. Does anybody know what this says in Hebrew? I know a few of you have had Hebrew. Remember, you're not reading from the left to the right. Remember, you're reading from the right to the left. I'm sure that helps you. This is the covenant name as we understand it of God Almighty. It's Yahweh. Now, we've transliterated it today um, into uh, this. As a matter of fact, we put vowels in it. And it's a transliteration. And the truth of it is we're not even certain that's how they pronounced it. Because what happened, we see in this text right here that God gives them the name and he said, look, this is my name forever, from generation to generation. And they use that name, they speak that name up till about uh, the post-exilic period. It's, it's probably about five to six hundred years later that when they are being taken off and they don't want their name of God to be defamed, that they quit writing it. And they quit pronouncing it except by the high priest at Yom Kippur, which is uh, till this to this day. And so because of Leviticus 24 and uh, because of the commandment that we shall not, you know, take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, they were so concerned that they began to not speak it. But we know it was spoken then as God reveals himself. And matter of fact, as I, I stated earlier, we see right here in verse 16, God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent you. This is my name forever. The name which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Now, I want to remind you that we are a Trinitarian church. And what I mean by that is we believe strongly in the doctrine of the Trinity. And when I say the doctrine of Trinity, I mean the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what we call God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's who God is. So when we worship, when we say Jesus, we are worshiping God. When we say the Father, when we say the Holy Spirit, that is God. They're three in one. Difficult doctrine, but we strongly believe in that. So even at this time, Jesus exists. They're not using that name, okay? It hasn't been spoken. He hasn't come in the flesh. God is revealing himself, but you've got the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And Yahweh comes on the scene and he says, I am. Which, by the way, later on in the Gospel of John, seven times what is, Jesus will refer to himself as, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But God reveals his covenant name to his people at this time. And we're going to see that as, as we continue. And I, I think it's important as we sing these songs. And again, they, some of these are new. As you sing, recognize it's the covenant was given. And the covenant name for us today, yes, we're under a new covenant. And Jesus is our new covenant. But it hasn't changed the name of God. 
from generation to generation. And we, you know, I'm so thankful that this name is not uttered very often. Uh, I'm so thankful that outside our church that we're not hearing this in the movies in a form of cursing, that there's still a reverence. And so when we speak it, we're speaking this as to the great I am, the one and only true God, the purpose for our existence. When you hear that word, it's a word of reverence and of respect, just as the name of Jesus is a name of reverence and respect. It's not a generic God. It is the God that we are worshiping. Well, as we look, we see the holy name of God. And as uh, we think about how we worship, uh, I want to talk for just a minute about our expression of worship and how we worship. How does the Bible say we are to worship? And the Bible gives us at least 11. There's really more than this, but these are the top 11 ways that we worship. Number one, through giving. Number two, through praying. Number three, through reading Scripture. Number four, singing. Over a hundred times the Bible tells us to sing unto the Lord. Do you know what the most prevalent, the most common expression of worship in the Bible? Matter of fact, literally, the Hebrew word for worship, it means this. It means to be face down. Our face down before the Lord. Literally, they would fall down on the ground. And that was the most common way that they would worship because it showed the reverence. It showed the worth and the magnitude of who God was. They, they would bow. They would stand in awe. And they would raise their hands. It's kind of a hard one for a lot of people today. I, I get this comment over and over again. You know, notice there's some people in your church that are raising their hands. Are y'all kind of charismatic? No, it's just some people. That's just the, a biblical form of worship. And you know, I, I don't command anybody or, or even even push anybody to worship a certain way. I think that should be something that you do from your heart. But when somebody stands in worship, it's a sign of surrender. You know, we have a lot of a lot of police officers or law enforcement people here, and when they when somebody when they go to arrest somebody, you know what they ask me? Raise your hands. You know why? Because it says. I submit myself to you. You have the power. You have the authority. I surrender. And that's the picture of hands raised to God. I surrender to you, God. You are the power. You are the glory. You are the authority. I raise my hands to you. Other times we see in Scripture clapping. And when you clap, we don't clap for the musicians, or you shouldn't. You don't clap for me. It's a form of praise. Playing instruments. And then I almost didn't list this number 11 one because it, it'll totally wig you out. You know, we've got a lot of people from different backgrounds. We, a lot of you, one out of three people a few years ago were raised Catholic in our church. A lot of you were raised Lutheran and Episcopalian. Some of you were Baptist. And this completely wigs you out. Dancing in the Bible. And we, we don't know how to do it so, today properly probably, so we, we don't really do it that much. But, you know, sometimes if that happens, that's fine. And, and here's the truth. Raising your hands, clapping and dancing, you do that already. You do it. I want to show you some examples of you doing. I want to show some slides here for just a moment. These folks right here are worshiping. You can call it what you want, but they're they're worshiping. That's what they're doing. Okay? 
These folks right here are worshiping. There's about 85,000 of them all worshiping. Even the Baptist schools. They got their hands raised and they're worshiping. They're giving value. They're giving honor. Even the cowboys who don't win, they paint their face. How about this? If you're under, if you're over 50, you know who that is? Taylor Swift. Your kids may, may worship her. Here's another one. I guarantee you, your kids know who this is. What is that? They're saying, boy, we surrender you. You've got the power. We, we bless you. Oh my goodness, we want you. That's what they're saying. So, when we see our hands, it's not something we don't do. When our team scores a touchdown, we get up. We worship. We get a raise. We get promoted. Yeah. Yeah, baby. Our kids graduate. Yeah. It's not something we don't do. It's who do we do it for? Again. Hey. I am not a pastor. I would feel very uncomfortable if everybody just got up right now and goes, all right, here we are. Because I don't want you to be manipulated, but I want you to know it's okay. I want you to know that if that's what the Spirit of God is doing in you, then it's good. And it's all right. It's worship. And that feeling you feel for your team, for your musician, for your child, and when you honor them, How much more should we honor the God of the universe who's given us a new covenant name, by the way, Jesus. The great I am came and he dwelt among men. He became flesh and he died so that at the name of Jesus, every tongue would bow, every knee should bow and every tongue confess is Jesus. We're going to sing. If you wanted an old song today. We're going to give you the oldest hymn in the in Christian history, or not even. This is before Christianity. All right, this is a, over a thousand years before Christianity. Okay, so I'm going to give you a really, really old hymn, really, really old. It's the Song of Moses, and it's found in Exodus chapter 15. After God has delivered delivered the nation of of the Hebrews, they're not even the Israelites really at this point, but the nation of Israel out of Egypt, He delivers them. And then Moses breaks out and he sings this song to God as an act of worship. He sings to Yahweh. He gives the 10,000 reasons. So as we sing this today, I, I want to invite you to do, we're going to do one of the ways that they worshiped in, uh, in the Bible, particularly in Old Testament times. They stood. So I want to invite you to stand. If you want to bow your head, close your eyes, you want to lift, I don't care what you do, it doesn't matter to me. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't do anything unless it's the Spirit of God. But I want to ask you to worship, to sing as an act of worship, to pray as an act of worship, to honor Him as an act of worship.